the Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Greetings, friends and fellow companions, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Dragonlance Canticle, broadcasting to you live from the heart of the Kaolin Mountains in Southern Salamia. My name is Megan, and I am joined today by our 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 friend and fearless leader at the Dragonlance Nexus, Trampus. Hi, everyone. I have plenty of fear, trust me. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you were able to confront those fears and join us today. We appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. It's been too long. And we have a very special guest, a guest we're very excited to be speaking to. John Christian, the Dragonlance story lead for Baldwin Games. Hello, John, and thank you for joining us. Hello. I. You're excited. Holy smokes, I'm excited. I feel uh, like a dignitary right now. This is great. I heard a rumor that you're a big Dragonlance nerd. Is that true? Can you confirm or deny? Oh, I confirm so hard, so hard. Uh, yeah, we've in in my in the circles that I that I haunt uh, with other game designers and writers, I am the Dragonlance nerd, uh, and for better or worse. Well, you are a Dragonlance nerd among Dragonlance nerds at the moment, so you're in good company. <laughs> Hallelujah! No longer a pilgrim in an unholy land. <laughs> So I, uh, so your name is John Christian, as I said, and you're the Dragonlance story lead for Baldwin Games. Um, do you have any, uh, any other fancy titles, any other social media introduction you'd like to give, uh, to anybody who wants to, to follow you anywhere else? Sure. Uh, I typically go by Dwarven DM. My friends gave me the, the nickname or the moniker of Dwarven DM and it just stuck. So. Uh, if you want to reach out to me or if you want to get in contact or keep up with me and kind of keep up with, with the things that we're going to talk about this uh, during the podcast, you can find me on Twitter. The handle's at DM. Same thing goes for Facebook. I also uh, am a one of the co-hosts for Geeks Cant, for, uh, which is between myself, Zach Goins, and uh, Troy Sandlin, who both work for World of Game Design. And that's a podcast, right? It is, yeah. Well, we stream on... Uh, Sunday and Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. on Twitch. That's 9 p.m. Central uh, through WOGD Live, uh, W-O-G-D Live, World of Game Design's <clears throat> uh, Twitch channel. It's a live recording of the, the podcast, and then we just we keep it for posterity. We stream on Twitch, and it streams actually on Facebook and on YouTube at the same time. Um, so now that we've gotten the uh, professional stuff out of the way, let's dive into the fun stuff. Yes. <laughs> so tell us how you first got into Dragonlance. It was, I had a friend of mine that played the the TSR gold box games. Champions of Kryn was actually my, my real first introduction to Dragonlance. Uh, I remember a buddy of mine came to school and he said he got this really awesome game in the mail. Uh, and he's been playing it on his Commodore 64, which is like this top of the line, smoking hot, fast machine that he was playing on at the time. And went over to his house, spent the night, Stayed up all night long until literally dawn uh, playing and just was foaming at the mouth in love with with what I what I got into then. And then I found out later that there were books, uh, novels that were associated to it. I played a little bit of D&D, but most of the D&D that we played prior to this was homebrew stuff, just like the, the, the three core books, plus my friend's brother 
had left all of his D&D stuff behind when he went to college. So all these handwritten manuscripts of adventures and stuff like that. We were playing through all of his old stuff. So the Mitro was definitely through the Gold Box games. And then I read the trilogy, the, the Holy Trilogy, so to speak, of the, the Dragonlance Chronicles within a week. But once I got the first book, I devoured it and then read the other two books subsequently within probably like seven to ten days. I bought those games recently on Steam, and I think I played the first one for like five minutes, and I was like, okay, I think I'll go back to Dark Souls now. <laughs> yeah, it uh, there's a certain level of brutality to those old games. Uh, they're very unforgiving. I imagine there was a gap of time in between, but how did you go from... Uh, sitting at your friend's house playing Champions of Crin on the Commodore 64 to working in the games industry. What was that sort of journey like for you? Yeah, you bet. So it's I've been a DM for forever DM for about 25 years. So, and shortly after playing the game and uh, I was running the game because uh, and it was a lot of it. At first, it was the same. I think it's the same lament that a lot of DMs share where no one else would do it. No one else wanted to do it or think, thought that they could do it. So it was always me. And over time, I really just fell in love with crafting stories and um, and just making my players happy, right? And, and trying to engineer the best that I could opportunities for moments where everyone stands up at the ta- around the table and cheers, you know, like have those those big moments and or the uh, everybody cringes and says, oh, my God, at the same time, those those freak out moments. And so I think that, uh, you know, 25 years of gaming, only in the last five years, really, or really the last three years, really since the, the pandemic, uh, did, I, did I actually give writing professionally a shot. Uh, whatever the pandemic hit, we had time on our hands, and so, which I don't have any of that anymore, but I did then. And so with the, t- with the time that I had, uh, I got together with uh, my friends, Troy and Zach, who we co-host the, that podcast with. And we started writing together. We started posting things on DMs Guild, lots of stuff on DMs Guild, collaborating on everything. We we're just so excited to see all of our stuff get published and people play it and enjoy it. Um, and then I I spent a lot of time in the organized play area. Uh, I cut my teeth on organized play and, prof- and dungeon mastering for the public through Baldman Games and Herald's Guild, uh, especially during the pandemic. Uh, most of the of the stuff that I'd done prior to that was through um, convention play, but uh, then we we know everything moved to digital, and we were playing at home best we could a lot of the time, and just played hundreds of hours. I think I've racked up eight thousand hours on Roll Twenty or something silly like that of of running games. It's bananas <clears throat> how many I've done. And so between anyway, so all that to say between. Uh, being a part of that process on the back end of seeing how the, the adventures were being written for Adventurers League for the Baldwin Games products, Moonshea Isles in particular at the time, and then working on stuff with my friends. And then Zach got this really great opportunity to work for World of Game Design. And now we're starting to do things that are going to be printed and published and will end up on shelves or there'll be conventions on tables and things like that. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of like the, the, the evolution was I just finally got to the point where I took the risk of letting people see whether I was any good or not. <clears throat> I think the jury's still out, probably. Well, let this be a lesson to you listeners out there. You know, you never know if you don't try. So, Absolutely. I, I think that's really the, that's the lesson. If you asked me over 20 years ago if I would ever be a print, I probably would have laughed at you. And uh, I've 
I've been on this amazing journey ever since and gotten a few gray hairs along the way to prove it. But, uh, uh, it, it gets exciting when, once you get into print and then to kind of see yourself validated and then just to see people enjoying what you put out and maybe using it in ways you hadn't thought of, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. That is the best part, honestly. Actually, we'll talk about it a little bit here in a bit, I'm sure. But I think that the best part of writing any kind of adventure or any product or anything like that is people asking questions excitedly. And it's not just telling people telling me that it's great. But whenever they ask those questions about, well, what were you thinking about this? Or well, tell me more about this thing over here. And they want to know more about it. It's obvious that they're really excited about it. And I don't need the compliment. That's all the compliment I really need. I'm not entirely sure on what order to ask these questions, so I'm, I'm going to come at this a little bit backwards. How did Baldman Games come to be the designers or the producers, publishers? I'm not sure exactly what word to use. Um, for the Dragonlance Adventures League series. A little bit about that. So what, what what element that really means is, aside from Shadow of the Dragon Queen hardcover in 5e, which was recently released back in December of, of 22, these are the o- the closest thing you're going to get to official Dragonlance material outside of that book. Probably for 5e, honestly. Seeing as how we're kind of coming towards end of life with the one D&D playtests and all that kind of stuff. It may not be... They want to say that it's 5e, but it, like it's definitely not going to be the 5e we know, at least, right? So this iteration of it, this is the Dragonlance that you're going to get, honestly, in a quote-unquote or quasi-official capacity because... It's been giving, given the, the blessing of Wizards of the Coast to Baldwin Games, specifically David Christ, who owns it. And how that came about, actually, is they were working on putting together <clears throat> their own Dragonlance material and, and storyline for organized play. <clears throat> um, and then they had kind of a shift internally where they, saw, they decided Wizards of the Coast didn't want to do all of the work that it was required to to create content officially for for organized play. So they outsourced it. And the way that they outsourced it is they parsed out different areas of the IP to different, what they refer to as a premier organizer. And so uh, Dave, who owns Baldman, has been working with Wizards for 20 plus years. I think that uh, he has a really great relationship with them. He, can, he has a proven track record of, producing quality material for Adventurers League through the Moonshy Isles. He already had that prior to this, uh, where they effectively, in 5th edition at one point or another, they said, okay, the Moonshay Isles, everything that you write for the Moonshay is going to be canon from now on, but you can't leave the Moonshay. You can go into kind of like the Fey Realm kind of area, but it's all going to be still inside of the Moonshay Isles, but everything else, Forgotten Realms, only wizards can touch that. And so, I think that Dave and his team, Eric Mingi, was actually the story lead for for the Moonshay Isle, uh, Shadows Rising, I believe was the name of the storyline. Uh, just really phenomenal stewards of the material, respectful, creating quality content, creating it on a uh, a regular cadence, getting like, like putting good content out on a regular basis, and just, they had that proven track record that they could do it. So whenever Wizard said, "Well, we kind of want to divest ourselves of writing." all the stuff either in-house or having to manage and administrate it and administrating it ourselves. We'll just hand it off to Dave. And so Dave's like, yeah, that's great. I've already got the moonshay stuff. What else you got for me? 
And they already had Dreams of the Red Wizards, which was a storyline in Forgotten Realms that they'd been working on. They handed that over to Dave. And then Dave asks, well, are you doing anything with Dragonlance? Because I know that that's coming out this year. I think he was having the conversations at the beginning of 2022. And Wizards said, not really doing anything with it. Once the book comes out, we're probably not going to do anything else with it at all in 5th edition. And Dave's like, why don't you go ahead and give me that too? And uh, and they did. And how did you become part of this? How did you become? I'm the biggest Dragonlance nerd in Baldman Games. That's how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> you got the neon signs behind you, Dragonlance fan, you know. <laughs> No, they, uh, that was one where Dave worked really hard. They, uh, for, they essentially, they did a reset, not a reset, but they kind of, they refilled all of the story lead positions. They, they, uh, Eric Mengi had finished his magnum opus of the rising shadows campaign, uh, uh which was, I think like eight years long and just uh, like, I feel like a hundred adventures. It's just, there's so much content. But they said, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to do us not a reboot necessarily, but we're going to do a refresh of the Moonshay Isles. We're going to do a refresh of the dragon, the dreams of the red wizards, and we need new people for Dragonlance. So uh, there was a call out internally in Baldman games, uh, for all of the DMs and the writers that Dave knew. And then there was an open submission where anybody that and their cousin could, uh, could submit and vie for the position. And so what I did was I put together the fanciest looking creator, writer, designer resume that I could. So, uh, and I passed that along to Dave and then my name went into the hopper and then I interviewed with Dave. I'm sure he interviewed who knows how many other people. I think that what, what kind of got it for me was Dave needs people that are going to be that he can count on. I'd shown Dave in the past with the work that I'd done. Uh, involved in the Herald's Guild, I was in committees and and uh, was one of the one of the dependable regular DMs that had been there through quarantine, through you know Gen Con online, Origins online, all that good stuff. While we were trying to figure stuff out, I think the first big event we did was D and D Live in 2020, and I think I had 92 tables that I ran over the course of a weekend. There were only one hour each, but like it was like. Or not 92 tables. Holy, that sounds, that sounds so crazy. That sounds so great. It's 92 players. I'm sorry. I had 92 players total over the course of a weekend that I, that I ran games for. And so just like, you know, and then really just being really excited about it. Like, I don't, I don't know how many other people that he knew that he could trust that he knew would produce and that he could depend on were as big, foaming at the mouth, Dragonlance nerd as, as I am about it. So Dragons of Divinity, it's what's it's what's been released already, is available in the DMs. Yes. But Dragons of Divinity is only the the first in a series of adventures that is uh, called The Vault of the Undying. Tell us without spoilers, without I mean, I know you can only tell us or you can only tell us so much, but for what you can, give us sort of a spoiler free free overview of what the Vault of the Undying is or what the premise is. So yeah, dragons. So, so Vault of the Undying is the storyline, and the storyline will co- encompass between ten and twelve adventures. Each adventure is a four-hour adventure that is tailored for both home play and for organized play. It is Adventurers League legal, meaning that if you play it at your at a convention, you play it online through a virtual weekend. If you play it at home, if you play it 
at your local friendly neighborhood game store or something like that, it's all legal. Right? So those of you out there that are familiar with Adventurers League and the organized play system and how that works, your player will be your character will be compatible wherever you go if you're playing these adventures specifically for Dragonlance. The uh, the storyline, let's see, the best I can probably give you without spoiling too much is it's set during the same time frame, starts out in the same time frame as uh, Shadow of the Dragon Queen. That was deliberate, and that was an ask from from Wizards. They wanted things to kind of be in the same uh, same time frame. So it's early, early spring of uh, 351 AC. I think that's right. If I'm wrong, shame on me. But anyway, it's it's essentially like if you think about the Dragons of Autumn Twilight, it's the spring before that autumn is when a lot of this takes place. So that's where it is kind of like in the time frame. So it's the very opening salvos of the War of the Lance is whenever this is, this is happening. And it kind of progresses from there. Uh, what is it about? It is about everybody knows the main thrust of the the war the the, the war of the lance story, but and Takesis is up to no good in all these little areas and kind of has her five heads poked in in everybody else's business and trying to trying to get out of the abyss. This story really is like what else is going on outside of that that Takesis is unaware of. Right. What are the other evil gods of evil doing? Right. Because the, the God, the one of the, the the keystone elements or kind of like the rules of Dragonlance is that evil turns on itself. Good redeems. And so with good, evil turning on itself, Takesis can act like she's the boss all she wants to towards Kimosh, Morgion. Uh, Hidukel and all the other Sargonis, you name it. She can point her finger, waggle her, her scaly finger at any one of them, tell them what to do. And they'll say, yep. Okay. But when she's not looking, what are they doing? And so there's a little bit of that that happens in here where there's like, where do those other elements that are going on? And then there's, again, there's a store, this parallel storyline that's happening along with, uh, the heroes of the lance. There are also, they're going to be called, there are still call outs, uh, nods, homages, and some like little invisible, script love letters to everything else that's going on uh, there too. I just couldn't help myself, but um, it's not completely divested from everything that's going on. It's, it's, it's supposed to complement a lot of that. The main motivator, whenever I was putting it together though, the main storyline for it was I can try to engineer and be really clever and engineer something wholly new, uh, or I could be, have slavish devotion to everything before and like, and try, try not to step on too much stuff as as much as possible. But what I ended up the decision I ended up making is, and this is probably an over I'm probably over explaining. But I look at like a, the the fandom in four tiers when it comes to Dragonlance in particular. The tier ones are the people that are like, I don't know what a Dragonlance is, but I mean, I got nothing else going on. I guess I'll play and I'll give it a try. Your tier twos are the ones that have they read it. Years and years and years ago, where they played the old TSR gold box games, and like, oh man, that was cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll give that a whirl, and I think I'll play a Kinder because Kinder are annoying and fun, or whatever. At least they think they are, but they're wrong. Uh, they're they are fun, but they're not annoying. They're awesome. Uh, Kinder advocate. Uh, but then, then the threes are the ones that are the the fans, right? They've they've held a torch for the last, you know, through the dark days of four E, where we got no love at all for Dragonlance. They held out after Summer Flame whenever they got their feelings hurt with the way a lot of that happened. So, like, you know, the goods, the bads, and the uglies, they just, they stuck with it. 
And then the fours are the unrepentant nerds like me who just are way, way too into the story. Uh, but we don't care. And so when I wrote this, the started writing the story for it, and the way that we are continuing to write it is my uh, my first duty is to the tier ones and twos. Because if you love Dragonlance, I've already got you. Not that I've already got you playing my game. I've got you in the way that the entire reason why I wanted to write these adventures is because I wanted to show how much I loved it, how much, and that hopefully that I got it, that I understand it, and I'll have a reverence towards the material. Um, but if you love it already, then Dragonlance has already captured your heart. Good. Awesome. But there's a, an entire generation of people that aren't in love with it the way that we are. And I want to try to, I'm trying to, to pull them to the table and get them to read the books and to, pl- to go back through the old catalog of adventures and play through those at their table or whatever. It doesn't have to be the stuff that I'm writing necessarily. I'm just trying to get them to the table and fall in love with this world that I just I love. So I, I absolutely love so much. Um, so that's essentially what it is. So the ones and the twos are the ones that I'm really trying to, to capture the attention of, but the threes and the fours, I'm taking care of you too, because, um, because we're all in this together because you know, you've been waiting and I've been waiting the Lord knows for, for years and years. And so a lot of Easter eggs and nods and things, I, but the threes and fours I hope get out of it at the very least is whenever something comes up and the, the ones and the twos are like, Hmm, well, that's really interesting. I wonder what that is. The threes and the fours are sitting there going, whoo, I know what that is. I know, I know what the green gemstone inside of that guy's chest is. I know what the, I know what that's a reference to. And so they feel really smart. They, they're in, they have like this little secret that they know that other people don't know. That's kind of like the Easter eggs that you get in movies, you know, that are homages to stuff. So you're trying to appease both to existing Dragonlance fans and to, um, new fans, you know, some of which likely have played, uh, D&D 5e just in Forgotten Realms or wherever. Um, how do you balance it out, like, um, trying to keep the flavor of the world, yet allowing for uh, D&D 5e's, um, you know, options and such that go beyond what's standard? That is a great question. That's something that I, I battled with quite a bit, um, because I'll, I'll be the first one to admit I'm a traditionalist when it comes to it. And for me, Dragonlance is very, very much crystallized in, you know, whatever Margaret and and Tracy say is gospel. And if they, if they kind of like pontifically wave their, their fingers at, or their hands at certain books and say that those are acceptable as well, then they become acceptable because they just said so. But that's me, right? That's my experience with Dragonlance. And so the way that we write, especially the way that organized play works, organized play opens up. Like if you want to play that dragonborn warlock, fey warlock or something like that in Dragonlance, and have no one and expect no one to like, you know, cross their eyes at you thinking that you're a, a draconian or something like that. I mean, like, yeah, you kind of have to figure out a way to make that work because that those are the, those are the parameters of organized play. So you just do the best you can working within those. Um, but, so the way that we ended up writing it is, uh, there are essentially like, look, you can play this however you want to. You can play whatever character you want to within the limit, within the confines of character creation guidelines that Wizards of the Coast publishes for organized play, specifically Dragonlance. And there are limitations there. Uh, once you're in Dragonlance, you can't leave it. 
So you can't jump from a Dragonlance campaign over to Forgotten Realms or anything like that. So if your Gith Yankee uh, monk shows up in Dragonlance, then they can't leave after that. They're, they are cut off from the rest of the multiverse. So there are at least some limitations that are in there. But otherwise, there are like uh, most, if not all, of the options are still there for you to be able to play the, all the weird stuff that you can play in D&D. And so the guidance that we try to give the players and the DMs is what kind of experience do you want your players to have and what kind of experience do you want to promote? There is whatever you want to do. And then there is, do you want an authentic, like an old or a classic Dragonlance feel? Do you want a, an authentic feel to it? Well, then pretty much what they did, I think they did a really, really great job, honestly. I got to ha- take my hat off to the, the designers that wrote Shadow of the Dragon Queen because they did, they only gave you the options that were Dragonlance options, really. They just had one little box in there that said, hey, and if you're a weirdo from another world, then just keep these things in, in mind whenever you do. But otherwise, they didn't give you any options outside of elf, dwarf, kinder, stuff like that, right? I think it's kind of a live and let live mentality that we've tried to have, but trying to keep it as authentic as possible, again, from the baseline. What we write, what we produce, what we publish is as close to canon as we can get it within within reason, and then trying to maintain a lot of the sensibilities that are the modern, so a little bit more modern sensibilities about the way that things were written from the book. Hopefully that is that answers that. Yeah, it's a, it's a topic that I find infinitely fascinating. I, I don't want to go too far down this tangent, but I, I really do think that Wizards of the Coast handled it well in that little sidebar that said people from beyond, because that even harkens back to Dragonlance Adventures, where, you know, in first edition, where the idea was that you might bring your character from another setting into Dragonlance, and here's what's going to happen. So, um, you know, I, I really dig the idea of here's your uh, baseline, but if you're not part of the baseline, We'll make allowances, um, and you know, with the Ventures League, there being guidelines on that too. So it's kind of negotiable, really, especially outside of organized play. When it's home, when it's a home game. It's just a conversation between you and your DM. We've we've talked about this quite a bit on the, the on the the Geeks Camp podcast before about our limitations in in campaigns, good or bad or indifferent. And I think that it really just boils down to. Uh, what is amiable or amicable between you and the players and what you all kind of, when you do that session zero, which I still feel is so important these days, it's that it's, it's kind of the, it's the social contract that you create between yourself as the the one running the game and kind of like, uh, and framing it up for the the players to, to play out of. <clears throat> and do we want to make sure it feels as Dragonlance as possible? Well, then we may have to put some restrictions in here and there in order to make it feel like what we remember when we first were introduced to the story. When I'm running my games, one of the things that I try to do is um, for my Dragonlance games is to say um, like, okay, this is the list of sort of common player ancestries. Uh, Here's the list of sort of uncommon ones. So like, if you want to play a Minotaur or a Goblin, you can, those are native to Dragonlance, but you're going to kind of get, you know, people are going to not trust you unless they get to know you in this world. And then there's the others. So like, you know, the Warforged and Aarakocra and these things that are completely outside the Dragonlance setting. And I'll be like, if you want to play this, you can. But you're going to be a sort of a 
a singularity in this world. And everybody is going to be completely baffled by you. You know, everywhere you go, everybody's going to be staring at you. Um, people might be hostile towards you or they might be in awe of you. So just be aware that that is going to factor into the experience that you're going to have in this game. Yeah. And I don't think that's wrong. Like, and that's the thing. As long as if you and the players are having a good time, you're doing it right. It, it, it's kind of interesting because on the one hand, you've got people who are looking at, you know, the broader D and D and options and tournaments are definitely cool. You know, the other hand, uh, you do have this group of Dragonlance fans who will always default to whatever Weiss and Hickman say. And, um, you know, people ask Margaret Weiss, and unfortunately, she um, wasn't familiar with turtles, and she was just told, "Oh, they're basically teenage mutant ninja turtles," and she was like, "No." <laughs> One of the, the 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 coolest ideas that I'd heard was, and Trampus, I think you probably heard this one. We probably read the same posts uh, about uh, turtles that kind of like started. I think it started this, dude, dr- uh, like. Sea, sea dragon, sea dragon, draconians, turtles. Yeah, right. Like that's that's doable. I don't I don't see a problem with that. That's cool. I want to kind of open things up a little bit. So we've talked about. Um, I want to just sort of speak about Dragonlance more broadly and give you a chance, John, to really vent vent your spleen about Dragonlance. Um, so I'm going to ask you just a few. We're just a few kind of general questions and we'll, we'll just riff and see, see where it goes. Um, so I want to know, what do you like about Dragonlance? So we know how you got into it through the games, then through the novels. That's how you got into it. What keeps you in it? I know what specifically why, why I fell in love with it. And the thing that I, I think that I fall in love with, fell in love with is the thing that I try to, incorporate into every like the the sensibilities i try to incorporate them into everything that i either write direct or run at my table with it and i think the biggest thing was the story at its core is not so much about swords and spells and good versus evil it is about good versus evil but it really is about a group of weirdos that don't look like each other they don't talk like each other they're from different cultures. They're from different backgrounds. They're supposed to hate each other. They live in a world where everything is telling them they shouldn't trust one another. They should not work together and they shouldn't be friends at all. They don't, they're not just friends though. All of these weirdos, elves, dwarves, kinder for God's sake. Like how did that happen? Like the task was ever accepted. All these different disparate personalities, backgrounds, everything like that. They should hate each other, but they don't. They love each other. And within the, this, in this climactic struggle between good and evil, it was the love of these weirdos and considering one another family and the strength that that brought them that allowed them that they channeled that and they used it. And it's part of what made what saved the world ultimately it was about sacrifice and loyalty and uh, determination and about like clinging to frail hope. And about redemption. And so those are all elements. If if they're not about Dragonlance as a setting, it's definitely Dragonlance as a story. Redemption is really, really important as a, uh, in, in it. And so that element is something that I think that the, the world needs, uh, has always needed. 
honestly. We're super, we're super tribal. And so to me, it's, it's, it is ever, it is evergreen in its timeliness. And so it's one of the things that I just adore about the story. That's the thing that I fell in love with. It's like the, they should hate each other. And those, the, those elements are really, they're, when you incorporate them into a story, especially today, like you, so there are certain elements about like bigotry and about, um, uh, marginalization and, and things like that, that if you incorporate them into the story, there's a risk that people are going to be hurt by the inclusion of it. But to, for me, at least it's important because coming up to the other side of it is the, is the reward. It's like, that's what it's like. Good redeems evil turns on itself. Like there is a balance that will always be maintained. It's cyclical. This is all going to happen again and again and again. And all we really have is to we can cling to one another and we're stronger together. And so like the, 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 the vision or the mission statement, if I had one at all for the storyline was that's it stronger together. There's actually a character, a key character that comes up in the second adventure that that's effectively like their, their, their battle cry is stronger together. And the, 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 well, if I could describe one word to describe the, the, the entire like motivation behind the story, it's unite because we are stronger together. And when we start fighting and bickering and separating ourselves from one another, then that's whenever evil takes root. And that's whenever evil can, can split us all up. And that to me, that's Dragonlance. That, that's spot on. You know? Yeah. It reminds me of Steel Brightblade, you know, when, He's fighting uh, chaos, and chaos is like, you know, your gods are gone, you know, this is gone, that's gone. What do you have left? <clears throat> and still, Bright Blade's like each other. And I'm just here with my kerchief, just, you know, wiping the tears away. Like, that's beautiful, man. Right. It's just a, just a, just a hot, snotty mess, baby. <laughs> I love you so much, Steel. <laughs> I do love Steel. Well, actually, I was going to say Steel is one of my favorite characters, but that actually brings me to my actual next question on the list is, who are your favorite Dragonlance characters? Oh, man. That's an easy one. I I, 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 bet, I, I bet I can guess. Can I guess? Oh, you know? Yeah. Oh, please do. Please do. Is it Flint? It is not Flint. I love Flint. Don't get me wrong. I was, gonna, I was thinking dwarf, Dwarven DM loves Dwarves. Oh man, well, I always throw people off with that. So that is, I'm not super shocked, right? No, my favorite character, hands down, all day, every day, is always going to be Sturm. I love Sturm. Um, I love Sturm. And a matter of fact, whenever I, <laughs> when I turned in my, uh, my resume and kind of like my, my pitch of like, here's the story I was thinking about and here's why you should choose me to Dave, I, I, my sign off was for Sturm. And so I remember um, the reason why Sturm is easily my favorite character. A lot of people, he's, there are a lot of things about him that are silly, right? Saluting before a fight, like whenever they face off against Verminard, leaving himself open for an attack. Like what kind of a, <laughs> you're supposed to be like, a, you're supposed to like know how to fight, man. It's so like you, you do this silly, but it's, he is noble and beautiful and loyal and his his ethics or his or his moral compass is absolute and that 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 hurts him sometimes right because he's so rigid and the world is so gray and he sees in these black and black and whites but he still loves his friends and he listens to them 
and he's still swayed by them instead of taking the path of, of Derek Crownguard in that he's so rigid that he's inflexible and that he, he snaps, that he errs on the side of nobility and grace and for, and, um, and mercy as opposed to uh, Crown Guards, which was all law. Law, the law was all that, that mattered. The oath and the measure, those were the only things that mattered. But for him, the, the, he was the truest knight. And spoiler alert, everybody look at, everybody, everybody's looking away. All right, cool. Spoiler alert. And whenever he died, it was this very messianic death of like, if he hadn't died, what would have happened? I actually wrote, uh, a, I had a, a, uh, alternate, and there was yeah there was an alternate timeline that I wrote for one of my adventures when I we di- I did Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and I rejiggered it for uh, for fifth edition for uh, for Dragonlance and I put, placed everything down in um, uh, in the southern reaches of Ancelon in Ice Reach and what happened was while all this stuff was going on down here th- this alternate timeline splinter was happening and the splinter was what if in the battle for Palanthus. Stern Brightblade rode out with Derek Crownguard instead of standing his ground with the other the other knights of the the other knights of the crown against him. If he had gone out and if he had and the knights lost and his sacrifice didn't happen and the Whitestone Council didn't happen the way that it was supposed to. And if if it were not because what people don't realize about Sturm is that he he became in equal measure the Golden General wouldn't have happened. And so if it hadn't been for Sturm's death, we never would have gotten the outcome that we did, that the happy ending that we did, so to speak, at the end of the original Chronicles trilogy. He's a linchpin character that doesn't get nearly enough love because he's a big Boy Scout. And a lot of people think Boy Scouts are super annoying in character in, in these things. And what they don't realize is that Sturm's got he has so much that's going on underneath the surface. He's not just being like the bravado cavalier. Um, you know, what a like android version of a, a paladin, right? He's he's not he's not just all brawn and no brains and no no moral real moral compass. He's really struggling with the oath and the measure the entire time, and that is incredibly compelling to me. I absolutely love Sturm, and then then a very close second is probably going to be a toss up between Tass and Lorana, and Lorana just for the same reasons for Sturm because she's just great. Her character arc is phenomenal. She goes from being this petulant child and a little bit bratty, immature, spoiled, and then becomes the freaking golden general. And she's badass. And I love her. And then Tass is Tass. Yeah, you can't not love Tass. I mean, that, I think that separates separates the Dragonlance fans from the not Dragonlance fans. Mm-hmm. Do you hate children? Do you hate your inner child? Then you hate Tass. Do you hate America? <laughs> You hate Tass, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any favorite Dragonlance? Um, any favorite like Dragonlance adventures from like the older days from any edition, um, or any any of the novels? I know you mentioned the Chronicles trilogy, of course, but um, is there any other novels that really stuck stick out in your memory? Ones that you you really enjoyed, or or uh, game books that you really enjoyed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I had my copy of Dragonlance Adventures, the the AD and D source book. Man, I just poured over that all the time. Is that the one that co- that's the one that collated like the 
the original War of the Lance modules, right? Yes. Well, no, no, I'm sorry. No, uh, uh, Dragonlance Adventures was like the source book for it. So it had the the Knights of Salamnia. It had all of their, the breakout of all of their, their class, the Wizards of High Sor- the, the Mages of High Sorcery, and, and things like that. So it was, it was all of like the, like the things that weren't in the book, or, or there was extra, there were extras of the book. So it was kind of like the first time where I'd written, I'd read the novels, and then there's like a cheat sheet that I got to, I got to read through also of like secrets that, that no one else knows about that were not in the novels about the gray gemstone and the gray gemstone races and how all that kind of stuff happened. So, and then like at the timeline and the dragon wars. And so it really just, it, it was almost like this, like a, almost like a, like a setting Bible that gave you more information than what was just in the, in the, the, in the books. And so, man, I wore that one out. I literally, uh, the, the, the spine on it gave out on me and I ended up having to get a new one. Um, I still have the original, but uh, yeah, Dragonlanders Adventures, holy smokes, I love that thing, and it had like levels for the for the gods. And if I recall, they statted out the different heroes of the lance at different at various stages. Like there's the heroes of the lance during the chronicles, and then during the the twins trilogy. And uh, I remember when I was just kind of scratching my head. Like Raceland was like either I think he was level eighteen or nineteen. I was like, that's it. I thought he'd be like level twenty two or something like that by the end of the the, the twins trilogy. Um, but yeah, that was that was great. And of course, I mean, like you just you can't you can't not love the original Chronicles is what I fell in love with. But I'll I think that Margaret and Tracy would both agree that as as they may have a fondness for those books too. That the twins trilogy was just like a superior book set of books. Just it was like the, it was like the Empire Strikes Back to Star Wars when it came to the Dragonlance stuff. And so um, I kind of have a, uh, a like a library, or not a library, but kind of like a list of books that when people ask me, well, how do I find out more about Dragonlance and what order should I read them in? I kind of, those are, go, I go Chronicles, Winter's Trilogy, uh, and I'll put a couple little extra ones in there, like God Bless Richard Knack and uh, the cast books and who, like The Legend of Huma and all that stuff. So there's some really, really good books out there. Yeah, I always use uh, I use Huma as my recommendation for someone if somebody's interested in reading Dragonlance but doesn't necessarily want to commit to reading a trilogy or to reading a whole series. I'll say read Legend of Huma. If you like that, then you're going to want to read more Dragonlance. If you don't like that, then you probably won't like like the rest of it. So start with Huma. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. I like that. Uh, adventure. Sorry, really quick. I'll, I'll just say I'll wrap up with that question. It's like adventure wise, you just can't go wrong with the original DL adventures. They're great. Like they're they're a product of the time. Uh, but you want to talk about like revolutionary by comparison to everything else that had been written before that or been created and designed before Dragonlance came along. The 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 original DL series, I think it was like sixteen really it was like eleven or twelve adventure modules, and then it was all world information in the last the last several, but it's great. And so kind of whenever I was when I was writing this the the story for for um the vault of the undying part of it was there's a greatest hits aspect to what we're to what I'm what I'm writing and that's as intended because whenever I played through those original modules I was playing characters that were in the book and so this will give people an opportunity to have in this parallel adventure feel like a little bit like the war of the lance character or the heroes of the lance doing their stuff but it's your character doing something close 
but not the same. So you can kind of hopefully kind of get that same vibe that a lot of people may have missed out if they just picked up like, well, I'll play Tannis or somebody else will play Tass or whatever. Speaking of the the original DL Dragonlance Adventures, maybe you can give me some advice because I've been toying around with the idea of running the running the original Dragons of Despair module um, using the new Shadow Dark RPG as my kind of my mechanism for playing it. And as somebody who I I never played one E, I started with I started with two E, and I find some of those old books very hard to parse out like the the intro to the to dragons of despair it's all this like if you you know this this event happens after x days in the adventure and this encounter happens after this event which happens after this one and i'm like wow this is this is a lot to process do you have any do you have any uh ins- any uh advice for somebody who might be wanting to run the original dragonlance adventures yeah so i think the good thing is if you've read, if you read the books, that's a, that's a pretty big commit, honestly. But if you if you read through Dragons of Autumn Twilight, you pretty much know what's going to end up happening in those those DL modules. So you can use the DL modules more for reference and kind of highlight the elements that you want to focus on instead of doing it rote, beat for beat, maybe. I think also the way that I would kind of cover, if I were to do a, a translation from one thing to the next, I wouldn't be beholden to trying to make it exactly the the same mechanically in certain elements, like the monsters and trying to build all those things out. I'd probably reskin some of the monsters that are already existing or some of the creatures or stat blocks that are existing in shadow dark or, 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 or something like that. But I think that trying to translate it from, from one to the next, it's like, you just need that high level overview and then kind of bullet point out the different aspects of, of the story beats that you really want to focus on. And then you've already have the maps that are there. You've got all the reference material that you'd need in order to, to run it from there. It's not like you're having like, it's not like a, a piece for piece or a one-to-one translation that you're going to publish. It's something that you're going to end up playing. So there's going to, I think there's a certain element of improvisation that you can give yourself or give yourself uh leverage or flexibility in to where you don't feel like you have to you're not 100% locked into exactly the way that all the beats hit and then just focus on the stuff that you loved really um and then just go from there i don't know if that helps at all or not if i could give one bit of advice and this is something that um cam banks told me many many years ago um anytime you translate something from uh, one system to another, whether it's one edition of D&D to another or from one game system to another, you have to kind of look at things through the lens of the new system that you're translating to. You know, it, uh, I'm trying to think if I can think of any example. Try, you know, like trying to say, oh, my, um, goblin from, uh, you know, DLA, or, well, the original DL adventures, uh, he has to have six hit points to do this much damage and whatnot. You just say, no, it's already converted. And yeah, maybe some things are different about whatever in the new system. But, um, you'll find that in the process, you might lose a little something, but you also have a tendency to gain a little something too. And it could be quite fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, a uh going to be a new a new experience for me for sure trying 
I've I've only really run Fivey. Um, since since my youth, I've only really run Fivey. So um, it's going. I'm I'm interested to try to to try to uh, do a style of game that's a bit closer um, to the way that it was originally intended. Um, but also, I need to make you know, I need to to play it in a way that I can really get my head around it. Uh, so my last question. What would you like to see in the future for Dragonlance? More Dragonlance and more players. <laughs> future of Dragonlance is more Dragonlance. <laughs> it is more Dragonlance. Yeah, I, uh, I, man, honestly, I think it really is that I just want to bring as many people to the table as possible. I want people to love it. The the best. The I talked a little bit at the very beginning about like the best compliments you can get, but really when it comes to what what we're writing and what we're, and what I'm architecting with this, the best compliments I've gotten have not been, Oh my gosh, it's so great. It was dude, how do I find out more about Dragonlance? Which books do I need to read in order to understand better? Because that means I got them and like they're, and now they're curious, they're engaged and they're going to give it a try outside of just like sitting down and playing one session. And so the, f- the future is, is, is more people is really what it is. Uh, I want to, you know, the, the grognards and, and the, the foaming at the mouth nerds for all of us to like put on a good face for the public and not, not internet yelling match each other too much about Canon versus, you know, flexibility or this, that or the other, and just do the best that we can to pull, to pull people in, welcome them in and be like really helpful and not um, not poo-poo, like a lot of the questions or the questioning that comes from it, too. Yeah, like, they, they gave it the do-whatever-we-want-to-with-it-try. Now, if they, they may want to go towards a classic feel or that quote-unquote authentic, traditional feel of, of the, the game or the, the setting after that. Yeah, I agree. I like, again, just getting people into the, into the story and um, hoping that they love it for the same reasons that I do is, is really what I, what I want. Um, and then like, if I, if Margaret and Tracy keep writing, I'll keep reading. I'm excited for the next book that's coming out. So that's something that like from a future perspective, the, the, the next two books in the, or the last two books in this trilogy, uh, I'm really looking forward to, I know that they may end up wrapping it up or who knows what they're going to end up doing with it, but I'm excited for that. And then, um, keep my fingers crossed that, after this, after this arc of 12, 12, 12 ish adventures, once the storyline's complete, if people love it and if they want more and, you know, it goes gangbusters on DMs Guild and that gives us the financial backing that we need to keep, to keep, uh, to keep making the adventures, I'll keep writing them and keep, uh, designing them until people are sick of them or people don't do them anymore. So from a future perspective, I hope people love it. If for, if for no other reason, then I want more. Not just me, but like I want other people to continue to writing stuff, like and putting stuff out on DMs Guild, and all the stuff that like kind of like myself that they had held back, and that is sitting in some like data repository somewhere, like a data hoarding nest of stuff that they'd written before that they never had the guts to put out somewhere and put in front of people. That they go ahead and put that out now because those those new ideas are. I mean, Margaret said it herself that once you know the future's in the hands of the fans at this point when it comes to Dragonlance. And I really do believe that. 
yeah, so anybody listening, if you want if you want to support Dragonlance, head over to DM's Guild to pick up a copy of Dragons of Divinity, which is available right now. Show show the people, you know, who who are behind the scenes that you know, that you're that you are willing to spend your hard-earned money on Dragonlance content and that's going to that's going to give them the incentive to keep creating this sort of premium official Dragonlance content. And I also would love to see if I'd also love to see more community creation community created content for Dragonlance. I do feel like we're kind of um we're we're kind of underrepresented in the DMs Guild. I mean part of it is of course is that it's only been available as a setting on DMs Guild for like six months now. But if you look for like a Ravenloft adventure on on DMs Guild, you're gonna find dozens and dozens of them. If you look for a Dragonlance adventure um that's community that's you know fan created, community created, you're gonna find like a handful of them so anybody listening anybody on our facebook group you know get get writing get brainstorming with each other you know put something out there it doesn't have to, you're gonna get better if you keep working at it and you keep publishing it and you know just get it out there and keep Dragonlance alive and keep the community vibrant and that's the best way i think i think better than i mean as 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 great and cherished an american tradition as arguing on social media is I think that perhaps all of us like putting out original content into the world is probably a better way to keep Dragonlance vibrant. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's one of those things, if not even just take take the the Vault of the Undying stuff out of the mix entirely. Support Dragonlance, period. Give it a try. Take a risk. We're not talking about a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks of an investment. Uh, your own time obviously invest in it too but try these things out and read through them and see what you like you don't have to like the entire book you don't have to like the entire adventure the great thing about D that i've always done is like i frankenstein the crap out of out of, out of adventures like rhyme of the frost maiden i didn't like it but i can i knew that there was a good dragonland story in there and i made it a good dragonland story and so I didn't use every single page out of the Rhyme of the Frost Maiden book, and I re-engineered quite a bit of it. I used all the maps and all that kind of good stuff. So, but you know, yeah, support one another instead of we can tear each other up all we want to. But the, again, this goes back to like to me the core mor- mor- morality or moral play in the stories is that we're stronger together instead of you know nitpicking canon versus taking some liberties in certain elements of the story or well I f- I'm sorry I forgot that Cronin Thistlenot was over in this part of the world whenever I wrote this adventure and he was supposed to be over here I'm so sorry like stop stop worrying about that so- too much Maybe it's just, everything's just a kinder tale that's not in the that's not in the novels but support one another both bo- bo- both in the public uh and at, and at home whenever you're playing at the table and keep in mind too, uh, and I'm going to do a self plug here. Um, the Dragonlance Nexus, uh, that, that's another great place for stuff because we're always putting out articles and, uh, talking about our favorite things. And certainly we need a few more, uh, voices, um, on the website writing articles and, um, talking about what you love. You know, we, we can't write novels for DM skill, but we can talk about our favorite characters, our favorite um, um, novels, examine that. Um, you know, there, there's all sorts of things that 
can be done. So um, the Nexus is open, folks. Just just uh, talk to me. Yeah, and the Nexus is open, and I think we are going to close down for tonight. Well, the Nexus may be open, but the Canticle is coming to a close for just for this episode. We will be back. Um, Dragonlance, uh, DragonlanceNexus.com, of course, is available. John, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. This has been a really wonderful experience. I'm sure everybody, everybody's going to enjoy listening to this because you're clearly very passionate about Dragonlance. You clearly have a very deep understanding of the setting. And I, for one, am glad that the future of Dragonlance, at least for the, for the near future, is in your capable and deserving hands. Well, you honor me for Sturm. <laughs> for Sturm. <laughs> Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, our guest has been John Christian. You can find him at Dwarven DM on, on Twitter, and you can find him on Facebook. Um, be sure to go to DM's Guild. Check out a copy of Dragons of Divinity. Keep an eye out for any news about the Vaults of the Undying series for Baldman Games. And thank you all so much for listening, and everybody have a great night. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>